politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and minutemen to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house, ready and willing to fight for all of you that feel voiceless, those of you desiring to fight for life, liberty, and property, and life being the first one. Life boils down to healthcare freedom. That is the issue of our time. They created a virus and are killing us with a virus, and they're killing us with the response to it, be it lockdowns, be it uh, clot shots, be it the hospital therapeutics that they're using, blocking what we should be doing, obviously foisting upon us against our will dangerous, dangerous uh, things that are all done by design. We now know and understand how this fits into a full puzzle, a deadly puzzle, and this is when we need all men on deck. <clears throat> so... Honestly, normally I'm happy to get to Friday because uh, I'm tired by then. But really, there's so much more we left on the table. And next week will be a little bit irregular for me. I'll be out um, at Front Sight with you guys on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I'll, I'm going to leave Wednesday. So those of you staying for the five-day course, I'm not going to be there the whole time. But we'll definitely get to meet. And those of you who missed out, by the way on the best handgun and constitutional defense training in America. Don't worry, there still are more dates left in the fall when we have terrific weather. Um, If you go to constitutioncoach.com, you want to take the five-day or three-day handgun defense training for 90% off front sights, typical training. Uh, You could find it. We We have a class starting November 28th and December 2nd. So see if that works into your schedule. You'll you will meet the best patriots, have the best handgun defense training, the best constitution training. You'll learn to shoot from the holster, clear malfunctions, hone in on your accuracy. It is so much fun. And really the best time of year to get out there in the Nevada desert, uh, where it's not too hot, not too cold this time of year. So again, join us there, constitutioncoach.com, and really looking forward to meeting you guys there on Sunday. So we will have one or two pre-taped shows in the earlier part of the week. So a lot to get to here. And again, when we're fighting for the right to life, this, this is real. This is not a joke. It is now completely proven that the shots not only cause so many side effects and unknown life-altering uh, health problems, <clears throat> takes over your immune system, but also... They go negative against the virus, meaning we saw it tumble 90, 80, 70, 60, 50, and then it went to negative, right? This was proven already weeks ago in England where they have the best data. Don't let them lie to you. Oh, it wore off. Let's get a booster. No, it's now worse off. It is everywhere where they're doing it. It's worse. You go to Chile as the fourth most vaccinated nation on earth. It's the third most boosted on earth. Cases are rising more than anywhere. You go to New Hampshire. New Hampshire has the highest, the the fastest rising um, hospitalizations per capita. Now, you know that essentially everyone in New Hampshire over 65 has a shot. Okay? And then I talked about this Swedish study that looked at pretty much their whole country and looked at the efficacy of the shots. And there's table five, which I missed out. And it's very important to get this. Table five, it's published in the Lancet, most prestigious journal. And it says over there, it's gone negative even for hospitalization and death. Okay, supplemental table five, vaccine efficacy in the second match cohort. 3.9 million people. Against COVID-19, a hospitalization or death up to nine months, nine months after vaccination. So remember, a lot of these other studies you're seeing are four to six months. This is nine months, and it's gone negative. It is gone negative. When it's fully adjusted for age and status, people over 80 years old, it's negative 66% effective, meaning you are more likely to not only get it, but be hospitalized with, with COVID at this juncture. We're being lied to, and we know that. 
I have a lot of stories I didn't get to and maybe we'll get to next week on how they're manipulating the data. But it now, even with the manipulated data, um, Illinois, last week, 77% of the deaths were from vaccinated people. So this ship has sailed, folks. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Imagine if we had all 25 or so Republican governors come out in unison that were blocking all the mandates, we're going to go after anyone prevented doctors from prescribing. We're going to do all the, all the issues I mentioned. Not just one state, one governor, so you can get isolated, but all together. Imagine if along with that, President Trump would come out and say, at the very minimum, kids shouldn't get this. Why isn't Trump doing that? Why? Where is his voice when we need it? I want you to answer that. Tell me at this juncture, for the baggage he brings to the table, what good does he bring? Other than promoting the shots. Oh, I made the greatest shots in the history of the world. But I do have good news for you. Now, look, I hate it when I give you good news and then the rhinos get to it and we can't have nice things by the time you hear about it. But as of now, Tennessee is on the cusp of passing a good amount of what we called for. Nothing's perfect. It's always going to have you know a few more exemptions than we want. Not going to cover quite all the issues. But surprisingly, leadership got on board. The stars aligned. And this is what I mean by the difference between success and failure in the legislatures is a hairline, which is why you never know when you're just before that point where the drywall is going to give way and you're finally going to break through to, to, to these legislators. Sign up for conaction.network. Any of the teams, I actually do need Tennessee team leaders. So I don't have a team in place there, but I have a lot of people signed up. So I can't take credit for this. But um, I want to give a shout out to Representative uh, Jason Zachary. Um, he has really uh, done a good job spearheading this, but they got leadership on board. And this is the difference between leadership finally getting on board. Within 24 hours, it, it all went. So basically, all government entities and private entities would be barred from requiring proof of vaccination. Um, they also couldn't take any adverse actions or deny employment based on vaccination status. They authorize unemployment benefits for anyone who even quit based on the thought that they might be fired. Um, it provides a legal cause of action for anyone injured by the vaccine or by masks. So it categorically bans any private or public entity from mask mandates. It does have some sort of loophole for some universities that get federal grants or whatever. Um, now, masks could be reinstated under, quote, severe conditions, but that could last for no longer than 14 days. And they always have to take medical exemptions. So again, you know, I would categorically ban it even for those 14 days, but you know what I mean? This is pretty good. Um, it removes any authority of a local health entity or official mayor gov governmental entity or school to quarantine a person or business due to COVID. So, you know, all these like big cities within the red states that are doing that, it bars that. It prohibits any healthcare provider from vaccinating any child without parental consent. Some states have this um, mature minor doctrine where you know, if they judge that you're mature enough to make a decision, 15, 16 years old, whatever, um, you can do it. No, this bans that. It prohibits all use of state funding going towards implementation of any federal COVID countermeasure. So not just the vaccine, but quarantines. And um, I don't know if that applies to the shots. It should. And importantly, as of now, it does include a provision dealing with physicians um, pro prohibiting medical boards from taking any punitive action against a physician for the recommendation of any treatment, mitigation, or prevention, and that includes anything they say on vaccines. It also allows them to prescribe monoclonal antibodies to anyone. Just like that. One state. But I'm hearing in Wyoming, they're watering down the bills to nothing. In Iowa, they're watering down the bills. So, you know, the difference between success and failure is is very, very minimal. And then, and then you look at Florida. Florida. See, these other states, they have garbage governors, and they have to fight against that. It's hard enough to get leadership to be good to get against, go against the governor. In Florida, you have a good governor. You have a governor that's giving you the most effective voice against Biden, 
and the legislative leadership is siding with Biden. They don't want to get into session. Other states, you know, the governor doesn't want to call them in. He called he, he called them in. They're like, it's a non-starter. We're not going after businesses. We're for liberty. Suddenly, it's it's liberty-minded <laughs> to, to allow businesses, and when it's all at the behest of the federal government, to go ahead and violate the Nuremberg Code. Yes, like these legislators never in their life voted for any mandate. When you can go and deny a service to anyone you don't like and, and fire any employee you don't like, and including based on their you know, race, religion, whatever, then come back to me. But if we're going to have anti-discrimination law, you better believe we are going to apply it when this entire mandate was never, never would have been approved or even thought of by these businesses had we had a functioning free market in our society. So again, this is something I wanna we all want to watch for. But again, where is Trump? You know, even the most unsuccessful drive starting next week to get this into five and to eleven year olds, I, I bet you easily they'll get thirty to forty percent up front. We are destroying their immune systems for life, for nothing. It's not enough just to say don't mandate it, which a number of states will. California already did. New Jersey's talking about it. The blue states definitely will. You know, to go to school. But, you know, there's a lot of Trump supporters that are bought into COVID fascism. They're full, They're confused. We need his voice. Just, just even not from a public policy standpoint, but just from an advice standpoint to all the supporters, don't get it. But no, he made the best shots. Never forget that COVID fascism started under Trump. Every bit of it. Never forget that. There's nothing that Biden created. It all piggybacked off of what was done in last administration. Oh, but he moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Lovely. This is my point. The difference between getting on the playing field and fighting and influencing and pressuring people that need conservatives to get elected versus just doing nothing is a difference of liberty and tyranny, life and death. Literally life and death now. Now, speaking of life and death, you know, with all the death and people dying, so much excess death from the bioweapon, from the shots, it's an uncomfortable discussion, but we all have to have it, and that's life insurance. Now, I remember I, I went a little while into my 20s without getting it, even after I had kids. And it's it's something you all need. It's very cheap when you're young, and it's stupid not to get it. Uh, we never know when God's going to call us back. And life is very fragile. And certainly with the rising cost of living and everything, you don't want to saddle your family with that rising financial burden. That's why it makes sense to get life insurance, especially term coverage, just basic coverage, which is surprisingly affordable even nowadays, while you still can. If you're asking that question, why not pay a bit each month to protect one's loved ones? Choose Ladder. That's L-A-D-D-E-R. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. So you don't need to go through that whole thing. Um when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. And that usually is enough for people. More than $3 million, they might require some sort of medical exam, but less than $3 million takes a couple minutes just with your phone or laptop, whatever. Um, it works in real time. It gets you instantly approved. If you prefer to talk to someone in person, they do have licensed agents that could, could talk with you. No hidden fees. You could cancel any time. Um, you can get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Uh, again, ladders policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of uh, paying claims. They're they're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Um, and finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, you really do need to get that now. So go to ladderlife.com/conservative. That's L-A-D-D-E-R Life.com/conservative. Ladderlife.com/conservative. Don't leave your family stranded in case God calls you in early. So, folks, I wanted to do something different today um, and have a special guest on to make it a little a little lighter and a little bit more fun while also being very educational and informative. 
to you guys. Um, so I want to get to that, but I did want to warn you. I have an email from Susie in Wisconsin, and this is very important, that she's noticed that there are FEMA, FEMA nurses in some of the hospitals there. So the feds are trying to replace the people being fired with feds. This is something we need to watch for, she notes. Federal firefighters, federal police, federal nurses, federal doctors. Got to be very careful with that. This is why it's so important we get in the state legislatures and prevent them from being fired or do the opposite. Rather than having the feds fill law state jobs, have states fill lost fed jobs. This is my whole thing. You know, like with Border Patrol, have your own Texas Border Patrol. Have your, you know, someone's in federal law enforcement or get, get, gets fired. Now, we did have an injunction from a federal judge. Looks like the broadest one so far, D.C. Federal District Court, uh, preventing anyone from being fired as long as they have a religious exemption request pending. So that's something. But we, we got to fight back because what they're going to do is just replace us. And then they're kill two birds with one stone, kick us out, and then federalize everything. So that's something we definitely have to be forewarned about. But I do want to get to our special guest. Now, as you well know, we've talked about every issue under the sun over the last 10 years. We've talked about immigration, economy, foreign policy, taxes, spending, budget, you name it. And we've been pretty partisan. But... As we experience this unprecedented, unprecedented pandemic and response to it, it's all about life. Life is even before liberty, and the biggest liberty is the right to live, the right to life. And increasingly, what we're finding is that our life is depending upon a medical establishment that is literally one with government that determines what research gets out to us, what research is stifled, and therefore which policies are pushed, and even which products and medical um, advice and, and access to medicine is made available to you and me, and our life depends on that. And one of the things that we've discovered throughout the saga the last number of months of having these independent, out-of-the-box thinkers on the show is that if we're being lied to on how to treat COVID, we're likely being lied to about other illnesses that really seem to be growing things. Picture things like uh, dementia, uh autism, a lot of aggressive cancers we're seeing. Are we really approaching these issues in the best way? Are we really doing the proper research into them? What is causing these ailments and therefore the proper way to treat them? Now with us today is a very special guest who's been at the forefront of early COVID treatment, but with a little different wrinkle than some of the other doctors we've had on. And it has ramifications for so many other ailments that all of us care about, and we have loved ones that uh, are suffering from these other ailments as well. Dr. Sabine Hazen is a gastroenterologist in California. She has over 22 years of experience in clinical trials, so she's actually even more of a scientist uh, than a doctor, and we're going to talk about some of those clinical trials as well. She's the founder and CEO at Ventura Clinical Trials. And she is the author of a must-read book. You can get anywhere you get books at Amazon. Let's Talk S-H-I-T, Disease, Digestion, and Fecal Transplants. She believes it's all in the crap. It's all in the gut, in your intestines. Um, everything, the keys to COVID, the keys to many other diseases, is actually found in your GI system. That sounds very interesting. So in order to talk some S-H-I-T, we got Dr. Hazen on the phone here. Dr. Hazen, thanks so much for joining CR Podcast at Blaze Media today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, this is certainly going to pike the interest of many people. Um, we got an aggressive agenda for so little time. I want to get into explaining to people what microbiomes are, why they're important, how it ties into COVID and even ivermectin, and then some of your experience on the clinical trial. So we got a pretty uh, ambitious agenda. Um, you just wrote a paper recently on microbiomes, basically suggesting that these uh, microorganisms, be it fungi, uh, bacteria that are in your gut, are somewhat of the master key to dealing with foreign pathogens that get into your body, that the, the more you have of some of these microbiomes and the more diversity you have, the better off you are and will be in dealing with warding off 
uh, these pathogens, particularly your paper was geared towards uh, COVID-19. Could you describe bottom-up what are microbiomes and why they're so important to study? Well, microbiome is really, you know, um, a group, a multitude of microbes, you know, by virtue of the term microbiome. Uh, and microbes are, you know, viruses, bacteria, fungus, parasites, everything that basically lives in your gut that has gone in your mouth past the small bowel, the stomach, the small bowel, and ended up in your colon is what we are studying. Um, you know, what we see as fecal material in the toilet is actually answers to a lot of people. And so that's what I do. I collect stool specimens to understand disease. So I started on this path when I realized, so I've been doing, as you said, clinical trials for 25 years, um, too old. Um, and it was mostly for pharmaceutical companies and nutritional products. Um, you know, we did a trial on Nest for Nestle one year on an herb for ulcerative colitis. So we've done, we, we've, we've like touched a bunch of different clinical trials. When clinical trials became a pill with fecal material in it, one could say I went a little bit rogue and said, we're in the SHIT business and we don't even understand what we're doing in the microbiome space. And so I took it upon myself with a um, clinical research organization and a site that I have, Ventura Clinical Trials, to start doing the clinical trial, trials on the microbiome and disease. Um, with focus mostly on Parkinson's, what's going on in Parkinson's, what's going on in Alzheimer's, what's going on in autism. I had um, an improvement of a patient with Alzheimer's that I published. It actually took me two years to publish that paper where the patient went from a mini mental status of 21, he couldn't remember anything, to 29 after fecal transplant for a condition called C. diff. So I was trying to improve his life from C. diff, which is a, an infection we get from taking so many antibiotics. And I had to do fecal transplant on him because nothing was working. I used the stools of his wife to him and then saw improvement in his mental status to the point that six months later, he remembered his daughter's date of birth. More importantly, he was able to draw on a mini mental status, the two squares with the triangles that kind of overlap. So this was amazing to me. And I you know, set myself on a path to try to understand why this happened more than, hey, let's just start doing fecal material in people and try to reach a cure. I was more interested in what bacteria, what is going on in the microbiome space. And so I went to Dr. Feingold at the VA, who basically said, look, everything is in the gut. Uh, he was working on autism at the time. Uh, he also was working on, on Alzheimer's. He gave me a paper that he had cultured a microbe for Alzheimer's. And he said, look, when you get your own genetic sequencing lab, you will understand Alzheimer's. And so he kind of, you know, showed me the path. He passed away during the Wolsey fire. And the family called me and said, I have all his books. They're giving me all his books, his patents, everything. And so I felt it was like divine intervention for me that I needed to step into this world. Um, so I started stepping into it and basically opened the genetic sequencing lab, bought the machine, hired a scientist, you know, with my own funds, my own savings. I felt that this was my mission, right? I mean, what if I was the person that was going to have Alzheimer's or Parkinson's in 10 or 20 years? Wouldn't I have wanted to know or understand the microbiome, you know, to try to prevent that? And so I did that mostly, you know, curiosity, interest, um, you know, I think all of us scientists look for that pot of gold, that ho holy grail, right? It's like being Indiana Jones and looking for the holy grail. And to me, that's what it was. Um, but it, it also perked the interest of a lot of doctors like me that do fecal transplant, that saw all these interesting cases, especially my partner, Dr. Thomas Barodi, who has become, you know, famous uh, with this whole ivermectin thing. Um, but Dr. Barodi is actually the physician that actually figured out the triple therapy for H. pylori, patented it, um, created a product out of it. He also is the father of fecal transplant. So to me, this man was like 
a genius and to start working with him and then collaborating with so many doctors. We call ourselves the Biome Squad. We were supposed to do a meeting in March and then that meeting was canceled because of COVID. And at that point, it was kind of like an awakening where I said, you know, I own a genetic sequencing lab. The virus sits on ACE2 receptors. Maybe it's in the gut. And so I, I know I've extended the story more about what is the microbiome, but this is kind of like the story of, you know, how I got to here and what is the microbiome for me. So the so microbiome... So, it's the holy grail. In other words, where where a lot of others were focused on vitamin D levels, they're focused on, you know, do you have diabetes? Do you have, you know, certain other vulnerabilities? You are wondering, aha, maybe um the vulnerability, you know, especially sometimes we'll see increasingly the last couple of months, a random 34-year-old, 40-year-old who on the surface didn't have any of those conditions that we uh, the last year and a half have come to know as vulnerabilities, this virus, and they just drop dead. They just get slammed by it, whereas other people, it's a joke. It's like a cold. It's not a big deal. And and you felt that maybe these missing biomes, and I want, I want to get to your study in a moment. Uh, one man's uh, crap is another scientist's uh, treasure in this case. But folks, our sponsor for today's uh, in- interview is actually very apropos seven cells pharmacy that's s-e-v-e-n-c-e-l-l-s.com those of you who are asking me where to get ivermectin uh, it's so hard to get a prescription and it's hard to get it filled they do it all in one they have doctors that will immediately sign off on it unless you are pregnant or have you know write down one, one of the conditions that they don't feel comfortable prescribing and we'll talk about that at a later date um, but for most people if you give them a clean bill of health Right away, they will fill it, and it will be pegged to your weight at 0.2 mg per kg. Um, so you're not getting the 3 milligram pills. You're getting anywhere from 12. They even do up to 28. And look, you know, some people have been saying, oh, I want 0.4. I want the FLCC protocol. Look, they allow you to get, get up to 60 pills there. So, you know, you could you could do that on your own. You could uh, order as many as you want, and then boom, 20% off with promo code DANIEL. And we have gotten this in the homes of several thousand people between Steve's show and my show. We want to get it to as many people as possible. If you have issues, you could always email me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. I am taking responsibility for this. Um, and again, this is the quickest way to get the most people the best purity product. I know a lot of you go to India or whatever. I can't vouch for that. Um, and the pricing is pretty good for cash prices. Insurance is not covering it. So, you know, the, the days of going to your own PCP and going down the road to Walmart or Walgreens, don't don't say, oh, it's cheaper. Well, good luck getting that. If you can, let me know. Um, other people are having issues. One other thing, within days, they will also have nitazoxanide available, 500 milligram pills. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, we have Dr. Flavio on the show. He feels that together with ivermectin is a bomb. I don't give medical advice. You have to do your own research. But it will be the only place in America pretty much where you could readily get that uh, as a prescription and as a uh, filling of the prescription. Uh, They have the pills ready. They're just creating the medical form. Again, 7cells.com, promo code Daniel, 20% off. All right, Dr. Sabine, back to you. Um... You have noted that it's all in the gut. You you feel it's all in the gut. So are you telling me that when well, you... Well, I felt that it was in the gut because I was doing clinical trials on the microbiome and disease. So I had an idea of what I was looking sure. uh, based on the that I was looking at, you know, the microbiome of old people. I was looking at the microbiome of Alzheimer's patients, nursing home patients, before COVID, I was looking at obese patients, diabetic patients, and I saw something in the microbiome. Of course, we're all at the beginning of this treading water, but I saw something, so I felt, well, maybe that something is the same thing that we're seeing in COVID. And so that's why, to me, that, that, you know, interest of looking at the microbiome, but also remember, the virus sits on ACE2 receptors. Where is one of the biggest organs of ACE2 receptors? The bowels. How big is your bowel? I mean, if you stretch out the, wow. the small intestine alone, it's the size of a tennis court. Sure. So, so you've got a lot of receptors there. And we've certainly heard of a lot of people having GI problems from COVID. So I think that, you know, when I, on the biome squad, Dr. Scott Jackson, who is the head of the microbiome at the National Institute of Standards, 
which overlooks, you know, Department of Defense, CDC, FDA, etc. Um, you know, he's been on one of our speakers on the Malibu microbiome. And at the beginning of this, I said, look, you probably should look at, we need to look at the stools. It's in the stools. And then that triggered in him to look at the septic tanks. And that's how we started looking at the septic tanks. Following that idea of the septic tanks, I was started to look at the stools from day one. We found whole genome sequencing of COVID in 100% of patients that were positive PCR by nasal swab. And the difference between whole genome sequencing is the whole entire virus in your stools living in there. So when we discovered that and we published that on gut pathogen, in fact, all my papers and publications are on um, you will see that, you know, my question at that point was, well, if it's in the gut, what is it doing to the rest of the microbes in the gut? And is it entering and causing uh, some people to die or some people to be severe because of the fact that their microbiome is altered to begin with? So these were the questions, and that's why this paper, that is still in a preprint, of course, you know, anytime you publish something and you're not an academic center, you know, there's a lot of, you know, oversight. And I I appreciate that oversight because it's essentially, that's what gets papers to be even greater uh, and better. So your preprint has essentially found that those in your sample that seemed to have more problems were associated with the deficiency, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, but two of those microbiomes. Two of those microbes. So essentially what I did, and so remember, I've been on the front line of treating patients with COVID because I launched the three clinical trials that all became controversial Um, The first clinical trial was the hydroxychloroquine and the vitamin C, D, and zinc. That was April 2nd on clinicaltrials.gov. And I was, I think, number three to be posted or four. And, of course, that went viral around the world. Second clinical trial that I posted was hydroxychloroquine, ZPAC, and vitamin C, D, and zinc. And then the third one was the ivermectin, doxycycline, vitamin C, D, and zinc. So these were protocols that I did with the FDA because I run clinical trials. And I sponsored them. Me and Dr. Barodi sponsored those trials. We essentially wanted to see what is the placebo control. We could have easily done a protocol that was proprietary and called it AB125, but we felt that we needed to send a message to the world of what we thought could be a solution for COVID treatment. Never did I think in a million years this was going to become controversial and discussed on the media and politicians were going to be talking about this. But regardless, I stepped into the clinical trials with the FDA doing these three clinical trials for one interest only to see what is the microbiome doing? What is the microbiome doing when we treat patients with COVID, when we attain a cure? I've always said attain a cure, understand the microbiome, because then you have the before, you have the after. And especially if you've Uh, If you have an assay, a test, a genetic test that is valid, verified, and reproducible, you can see answers, right? And so that was basically the interest for me. So I want to explain. I I want to move. So the study, just to kind of cut you sorry for a second, the study is very important because I was on the front line and I was noticing some people in the same household are surviving not catching COVID. So early on in the pandemic, I started collecting stools. I started collecting stools of mom, dad, siblings, and I, I collected them as a family, right? And I said, well, let's just follow these people and see who's going to be developing COVID and who's not, right? The people that were severely ill in the family, we had their stools. We knew what their signature microbiome looked like. And when we compared it to family members that never took anything, never, um, that never got vaccinated, this was pre-vaccines, Um, And we noticed, wait, these people were living. Like I had a husband in in Alabama who's a GI doctor. He was in the same bed as his wife who got COVID, and he never got COVID. Then he goes to a party where 32 people have COVID at the party. He never got COVID. Of course, my interest was like, I need to look at your (laughs) stools because the holy grail is in there, right? And so that was the purpose of the study. And people came to me, you know, like people came to me and said, I have severe COVID. It's so funny. My husband is taking care of me and he doesn't have it. 
So I would be very aggressive at trying to collect these tools. Yep. You know, one of the greatest stories is a farmer in Kansas, Matt Clofer, who basically said, I did a YouTube video because we started talking about um, the microbiome. And in the video at about 42 minutes, he goes, you know, doc, my wife had COVID. I took her saliva. I put it on my face. I kissed her. I smeared it all over me. I never got COVID. And he even said, am I that useless that COVID doesn't want to hit my body? So I basically said to him, I need to see your stools. <laughs> and so, they, so when we compare those people to the people that had severe COVID, we realized that two microbes really popped up. One of them, especially the bifidobacteria. What is bifidobacteria? Bifidobacteria is the multi-billion dollar industry that is of probiotics, right? Mm. So we give probiotics and you see all over these packaging the way it says bifidobacteria longum, bifidobacteria adolescences. And you basically, you say, okay, well, then there must be some health in these if it's a billion dollar industry, right? So the fact that we found it, that it was disappeared in severe COVID patients compared to high risk exposed COVID patients. So in other words, you know, you have over 100,000 bifidobacteria, for example, and then you compare it to a patient with COVID that has zero. And by the way, when we look at the microbiome, we look at it as relative abundance. In other words, what percentage of your microbiome is that bacteria, right? Mm. So when you see zero, it's zero, right? I mean, there's no, you don't even need a reference point on this. You and, say, and you're wow, saying yeah. your your hypothesis is that the same way Dr. Cole will come on the show and say, hey, a guy with a 510 level vitamin D, I know he's going to be in trouble. You're saying you see a guy with zero bifidobacteria, you know he's likely going to be in trouble from COVID. That's your hypothesis. That, that's my hypothesis. Of course, we need larger numbers. Sure. I will tell you this paper, because people will always say, well, the numbers are low, 72 patients. First of all, each sample is over $3,000 to analyze because we go <laughs> super deep. So this was never a cheap study to do. And let me tell you, I could have bought a, a lot of Gucci shoes for the amount of studies that I've done. And if my parents knew how much I've spent on this, they'd probably have a heart attack. But the fact is I did this for humanity. I did this to understand the microbiome. But microbiome analysis are, are extremely expensive. So when you do 72 patients, that's a lot of money that you're spending. And especially when it's not funded by the NIH sure. and it's coming out of your pocketbook, you, you know, so, you can do as many, but I've tried to do as, as many as I can. But let me tell you, this data was reproduced in Korea and it was reproduced in China, which makes it in my book, valid, verified and reproducible. Because when all data is reproduced and you get the same results over and over, it's valid. So now, so obviously, we have to pay attention to the bifidobacteria. The bifidobacteria, we, we, we truncated a very, you know, deep academic discussion in just a few minutes. Um, and I know there's a lot more to say on that. But to bring this to the practical, my audience is going to then ask, okay, so what do we do? You've, you've talked about vitamin D and C and different things. I want to talk about lifestyle and, and geography and how this ties in and ivermectin as well. Um, it struck me when I spoke to you the first time. I never thought of it this way, but everyone was like, ivermectin, that can't work. That's parasitic, antiparasitic. And then when I spoke to you, it kind of all um, collided in my brain. I was like, oh, GI, parasites. Okay, could you explain to our audience how, based on your hypothesis, it would make sense that ivermectin would be so effective? Well, I'm only going to say so much because I have to publish the data. And, but I want to remind people what is ivermectin. And what ivermectin is, it was branded as an antiparasitic, but it's actually not an antiparasitic. It's actually a fermented product of a bacteria called Streptomyces. Mm. And that bacteria sits in the soil in Japan. So, you know, it's a, it's a fermented product of a bacteria. So I think when you look at it that way, you, ask, you have to ask yourself, well, what is that fermented product? of a bacteria doing in the gut. And so that data is coming and we'll be showing that. 
Got it. So it's important to remember that iconic picture of Professor Amura in Japan uh, in the 1970s collecting that that soil. That's where what we know as ivermectin comes from. It kind of is interesting that Japan is one of these countries. By now, they've had a bunch of cases, but really, no one, very few people have problems with it. Um, so is it your hypothesis as well that this has been one of the most fascinating discussions has has driven a lot of interest the geographical comparisons a lot of people are like okay what's with these some of these asian countries and then central africa all these places it's like a brick wall no matter how many waves we have it seems to eventually get most countries but then there's some that they just don't have a problem with it does this have to do that with the do. with the ecosystem that they're in the soil the type of bacteria that they're exposed to their whole life and it sits in their gut in a way that just makes them somewhat impervious to this? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, I mean, you look at cultures around the world, you know, you cannot compare someone that the microbiome of someone that lives in Japan versus a person that's Japanese in America, completely different microbiome. You are within your environment and your environment feeds you. You know, I mean, I, you, you talk to people that are from Europe and, and they live in America and they'll tell you, when I come back to this country, I cannot eat bread. But then I go to Paris, to France and I'm eating bread and I'm perfectly fine, right? Our environment determines our microbiome. And I think that's very important. I think the other thing that's very important is, you know, as we talk about ivermectin is, you know, this is why we do research, right? This is why there's clinical trials that are done because it's, it advances research. Every finding uh, gives one more clue. But I don't want people thinking, oh, my God, I should take, you know, ivermectin by and it's a fermented product of a bacteria, and therefore it's going to help me. We don't know. We don't know what the long-term repercussions to your gut is of taking these products. Uh, we don't know. You know, we certainly have seen short-term with patients and improvement, and certainly I've seen it on the front line have been treated a lot of patients whose oxygens were really low. And when I upped the ivermectin, they started feeling better and getting better. So we have all seen these cases. I just think like when it comes to, you know, prophylaxis, et cetera, and there's been a lot of good studies out there, but I just think that we need to understand a little bit better because I think that the problem that happens with the media is the media tends to, and you know, you're part of that media, you tend to influence the sure. majority of the people. And unfortunately, you're also influencing the people that should probably not be taking ivermectin because there is a huge list of contraindications of these meds. So I really feel like medicine should be left to the doctors that are probably critical sure. thinkers that, that are brave enough to write a drug to try to treat. There's certainly a lot of doctors out there that have stepped into the front line and said, yep. look, I'm going to look into it. So I really encourage people to do that, to search the physicians that are educated on that and that are willing to try to treat them because it's a patient-doctor relationship. Exactly. I don't think, I think when we influence people, we do more harm than good. Look how many people have been influenced by taking the wrong probiotics and it actually killed their gut. We just published mm. a paper that showed that the wrong probiotic also could kill your, your bifidobacteria as opposed to a high quality. And remember, we're all different. Why should we all require the same probiotic? Sure. You know, I'm from, I'm from North Africa. My microbiome is completely different than someone from Iceland, right? So they probably eat certain food that I don't eat. I can't tolerate that. So I think the mistake to say, well, everybody should do that. Certain things are common, right? Vitamin D that's safe, um, definitely, you know, has shown to be effective, um, is, is an important component of health. Yes, everybody needs vitamin D. That's, that's, a, that's a key, right? But I think when we come to talk about drugs, et cetera, I think we really need to, like, look at the science. And, the, and, and when I say science, look at all the research sure. on a product. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, obviously, where I sit, I get I was getting thousands of emails with people dying of this thing. And this is a very unprecedented time where they have fast tracked, for example, Molnupiravir. Um, you have a Merck's press release and that's God's gift to the world now and done. I mean, and, and that will be forced down everyone's throats. 
um, and everything they're pushing either doesn't work or backfires, and then things that do have promising research get stifled. Um, government, 19 months into this, will not put the money into larger trials. So we're forced to deal with a world that we have. People get COVID. So, you know, you're right. Every PCP should be looking at every individual patient, but unfortunately, we don't have that. We absolutely don't have that. And we have a dearth of doctors and pharmacies for an entire country. So some of us just felt we had to step up and make available uh, what 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 people want, you know, and they have to do their own research. And, and, and again, I don't uh, recommend one thing over another. I know you do have a study that is going to come out soon with Dr. Barodi. Uh, Dr. Barodi is regarded as one of the greatest GI doctors in the world. He has written an article at Trial Site um, previewing this. So I'm assuming you don't want to say anything more than obviously what he wrote at Trial Site. Um, this is going to be, again, the triple therapy, ivermectin, doxycycline, and zinc together. Do you have a timeline on that? No, you know, everything is, uh, you know, no timeline. I've, uh, it's kind of interesting because I stepped into this fire April 2nd, and, norm- and I'm, I'm in the clinical trial business, right? So I understand the timelines and, and deadlines, and I should have finished these trials a long time ago. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, these trials have been, it's been easier um, to eat broken glass than to do these trials. First of all, because unfortunately, the media has discredited two potential good ingredients uh, for COVID. So my interest at this point is really explaining to everyone what the microbiome is doing and why these drugs are potentially the answer um, on a microbiome space. Um, my interest is really, listen, at the end of the day, I think I'm going to be the last train at the station. I, listen, I've started with this. I know Merck. I've worked with Merck in the past. I'm, you know, I've worked with Pfizer. I've worked with a lot of these companies. They probably all want to do the right thing and come out as the hero, but we're still in this pandemic. So, so at some point, they're going to have to start looking at everything and say, you know what? We've done harm with this. We've done good with this. Let's go. Let's look at everything and see what works. And they're going to have to, you know, to agree. You know, this is the way research and healthcare is right now in 2021. It's broken. It's not. It's not the olden it, it, days. It's broken, where- and every week people are dying. Every week, and the winter is coming soon. And time is of the and, essence. And it's a shame because unfortunately, there's so many forces that are driving this. And, and the biggest force is really the media influencing research, the politicians influencing research. Listen, my trial on hydroxychloroquine ZPAC came to a halt because we couldn't enroll. People were scared of taking an old cheap drug, you know, of hydroxychloroquine. So that stopped it. And, and, and that's the problem. The problem is the forces that are interfering with research. Research is sacred. Research should not be touched by the media. It shouldn't be talked about. It should be done in a private lab. Do you think I want to come out and speak about this and talk about my research? Absolutely not. I want to stay in my lab doing my research and focusing on my research. That's what I am trained to do. I'm not trained to be on Twitter. I'm not trained. But unfortunately, I felt like I had to step in because... There's so much media yes. uh, on both the, the, the sides. bottom line is if people like Doctor. you don't step in and give people like me the confidence to then project it to other people and give them at least a broader picture, we're going to have everyone on remdesivir and a ventilator and dead. Because I could tell you, you know, I just did an article on nursing homes. There's a ton of nursing home patients that are now dying of COVID. They're all vaccinated. And, you know, whatever someone thinks of the vaccine or not, um, it works until it doesn't. And you need answers for these people. And, 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 and like everything, right? We didn't know antibiotics caused C. diff until the technology came to look at these microbes and say, oh, every time we give antibiotics, we're killing diversity of the microbiome and potentially risk causing a bacteria called C. diff to secrete its toxins, right? And so with every added step, you know, unfortunately, that's research and science. You can't, you know, 
you have too many forces that are opposing and then you add on top of that the politicians and the media you've lost science you know we're not at the days where sanofi pasteur would figure out a vaccine um we're at a day we're at days where the vaccine has a value on the stock market so you know it's a different it's a different way you know from what i see of the vaccines we can't say that it doesn't work you know, uh, but we just don't know the long-term effects. We see the short terms. I mean, I've been at definitely, definitely multiple parties where, you know, people have been, um, you know, hugging and kissing and they're all fine. And these people would have caught COVID. So I think the vaccine is definitely doing something. The big question is, what is it doing long-term and what will it be doing to the kids? And we don't have a magic ball to look at that. So that's my... We don't have a magic ball, but we have the reality of the status quo, which is everywhere that it's been used um, massively. Uh, at some point, they have more cases than they had last year, and now including hospitalizations. I mean, country after country. So these people need immediate solutions. They need immediate help. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it falls into this, you know, news. Who's telling the news? Who's reporting? You know, all that falls into this narrative which is, again, impacting research and science. And I think, you know, at some point we're going to need to, you know, stop talking about (laughs) the science and let the science really show the data once and for all. Sure, but if I stop Uh, talking about the science and and people like me, which is, let's say, 1% of the ecosphere of media, then I think... It would be a hundred percent. The I science mean, would be in one direction. I mean, and and this is, but yes, but you're right. I mean, I as I started off this interview, I, I never talked about this. I never talked about a cytokine storm. I never talked about vitamin D levels. We talked about you know the typical politics. But this is the problem. People are really caught, and they need advice, and they need um help, and and I, uh, and I you know people they they got the shots. They got you know they got everything, and they and their no, blood oxygen I, I level it. drops. I mean, and you see the you know, publication, people call you, and you have to speak up. So I get it. I and, mean, and I, I think I think it's a mistake not to look at the complications um, and, and not to record. You know, this is such a deviation from research to begin with. When we do clinical trials and we have a patient three months after a vaccine, I'll tell you, I did a vaccine study uh, for Sanofi Pasteur uh, that lasted seven years for C. diff. And, um, you know, we followed these patients for six months. If a patient had a heart attack within a month and was admitted to the hospital, that's a serious adverse event. We'd have to report it to the FDA and the IRB um, because that needed to be uh, reported. With these vaccines, it's almost like, well, we've, we've stopped reporting all these serious adverse events. And unfortunately, my problem with this is that the research, unfortunately, um, it was done too fast, is done fast, and, and the world became a research experiment. And that's, and if we're wrong, that's a huge experiment on humanity, sure. right? Sure. Because humanity, and listen to this, and I think the one thing that everybody needs to learn from the microbiome that we've learned, that I've learned, is diversity of microbes equals health. Loss of diversity of microbes equals disease, okay? So when you have a patient with Alzheimer's or autism or and has no diversity in their gut, especially in autism, no diversity, you have to ask yourself, loss of diversity equals disease, right? And diversity is good health. Same thing in the humanity. Humanity cannot survive without the diversity of races and the diversity of all these different locations. It cannot survive with one location. It survives with all the diversity. So we have to think of it as we need to save humanity as a whole, not just let's save one race, one race, etc. Because diversity of humanity, my hypothesis, is what keeps humanity alive and continuing to go. So and I wanna, by the way, bifidobacteria, yeah. I invite everybody to educate themselves on this bacteria, bifidobacteria, because there's a lot of data, even in the climate world with this bacteria. So I invite everyone to look at that. Absolutely. And I know you got to run now. Really quick parting question. Based on everything you're saying, um, a concern arises in my brain that it sounds like what you're saying is that God kind of created us to gradually 
um, get inside our bodies, different uh, bacteria, different uh, fungi. You know, I, my, my fourth uh, kid is now 18 months, and you go through four kids, and it's like, man, kids are disgusting. What in the world? They'll, they'll go, they love the toilet and the garbage are their favorite things. And it's like, why did God create kids like that? And after speaking with you and learning about the microbes, it strikes They're me that it's, it's a way of over time creating this um, immunological ecosystem for them to gradually be exposed to some of this stuff. So my, my question to you is this. Is there a concern that after a year or a year and a half, of taking kids and really isolating them and creating kind of this bubble boy phenomenon, is that going to create a lack of diversity of microbes that will make them vulnerable to things like COVID-19? Well, I think most kids are pretty resilient, so you just put them in a pile of dirt and play with dirt and they should be fine. Um, I think I, you know, it goes against what I know of the microbiome to keep people in a box, you know, think about it. You cannot grow a tree uh, in a bubble. You cannot grow. You need air. You need water. You need nutrients. So you need to be exposed to the environment to survive. You know, when you look at, you know, these thousands of people that go outside and are in concerts and you don't really see um, a spread outside of COVID because there's other environments, other microbes out there in the environment. So I think uh, the more Sterile, the one thing we've learned about the microbiome is that the most sterile environment, uh, the more likely you are going to be predisposed to disease. You know, I was that kid that my mom would clean the counters and keep me super sterile, and I developed every allergies known to men. So I think, you know, but yet you have kids that you just put on the ground, they touch the floor, they eat from the toilet, and they're perfectly healthy. And Vice versa, you deliver a baby with C-section versus vaginal, and that baby is, you know, not as, um, you know, may run a risk of having allergies compared to a kid mm. delivered by vaginal delivery. And so, and then on top of that, we give these kids a lot of antibiotics for ear infections, you know, after ear infections, and most of them are viruses that you're killing off their gut microbiome. So I think we have to be more um, aware of what we put in our gut. We have to be less of a consumer and listening to being sold, you know, this probiotic, this pill, this, this diet pill, etc. Uh, we have to uh, be wise and, and think that, you know, if there's something with our gut, we need to listen to it uh, because that could be a predisposing factor that, ca- that makes you, uh, you know, catch COVID. So when you see a young man that's dying of COVID, you have to ask the question, well, did he have any digestive problems before long-standing digestive problems? You know, all disease begins in the gut, and we're definitely trying to prove that. Um, we're seeing a lot of things. Um, so I invite everybody to just follow the data on progenobiome uh, because it's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of people. This is certainly very eye-opening. Where could people find more of your work? Progenobiome.com. So there's about us. There's a publication area. Uh, you know, you'll see a study with, where we gave fatty meals to mice, and we noticed that the mice developed a microbiome dysbiosis, an imbalance. So, you know, makes the question of whether obesity is a microbiome problem. So... Um, so those are all the papers we found COVID in the stools is in there. There's a lot of interesting data. Um, the book, I wrote two books, one with Dr. Uh, Tom Barodi, um, called let's talk SH T and the other one with Dr. Sheldon Jordan, who's the top neurologist in my opinion, in the world, um, interventional neurologist. We're actually doing studies on, um, potentially fecal transplants with Alzheimer's and MS and Parkinson's. Um, and the book is called Regenesis, and it's on uh, Amazon. So Perfect. So, yeah, make sure to follow that work and follow her on Twitter at Sabine Hazen, MD. Uh, thank you, Dr. Hazen, for joining us. And please keep us updated on this work as you develop it. And I certainly want you to come to me first <laughs> or second, at least, when Absolutely. when this ivermectin triple therapy study does drop. Um, I'm sure people will have a lot of interest in it. And by the way, thank you, because you've been, uh, you are definitely one persistent 
young men. And I have to, uh, I have to say kudos to you for actually getting me to, to be <laughs> on this talk today because you've been trying for a couple of weeks. So good job. Well, it was a pleasure we got you. you. We're going to drag you out whether you like it or not. You got dragged out on Twitter, even though you didn't want it. So people are, are going to follow you and they are going to have interest. Uh, good luck with your, your work. And we look forward to having you back again. So, folks, that's pretty much going to wrap up the week. Um, again, I wanted to kind of change pace a little bit here. Just th- think about that. Um, you are what you eat. And uh, it's just interesting that what's in your uh, intestine seems to reflect that. And does that really hold the keys to your immune system and to other diseases as well? And that's her, she's obsessed with that and and really doing it for the right reason. She's, it is true. She has put her own money into it. And, and again, the government is not interested in finding something more innovative because if it's not what big pharma wants, uh, they're against it. Um, you know, look, I'm never scripted. You know, that, that's, what's interested here. It's when I have someone on, anything could happen. Um, she was a little bit more cautious than I thought in talking about ivermectin. And I think the reason is because unlike these other guys that will just blab and whatever, she wants to follow the book and she is doing an FDA uh, trial on ivermectin and doesn't want to blab about it. Um, So that will be interesting when it comes out. But I will say Thomas Barodi um, who again is the greatest GI doctor in the world, did write at trial site and he did put preliminary data that at least in their sample size, I think it had a hundred percent reduction in fatality and 91% reduction in hospitalization. We'll have to parse that out when it comes out. But that again was with ivermectin, doxycycline and zinc as well. Um, again, just uh, just a housekeeping. You could go to conaction.network if you want to be a part of one of our teams. More state legislatures are going to come in session. If they don't, certainly by January, February, they will if we're still alive by then. Uh, if we're not all in the gulag, you know, Australia just passed the bill uh, prescribing two years in jail for anyone who doesn't wear a mask. So, you know, we're, we're just one step behind them. I need you guys to fight. Call your legislators and demand action. Uh, that's really the only avenue we have. Um and then, and then back to seven cells with 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 the pharmacy. I just want to just reiterate a couple of things in our operation neutralizing evil uh, to get this in as many homes as we can. Um, again, if you feel you don't need ivermectin, if you already had the virus, if you have a way of getting it that you believe is cheaper for you, please continue with that. If you have another telehealth service that you feel works better for you, use that. We're actually going to have doctors on you know, in the coming days that have their own telehealth. So it's not, you know, I'm not about promoting any one thing. Um, I just, you know, felt this was the most synergistic that has the boat both at once to get to the widest array of people. Now, a couple things. Number one, people are being turned down and they, and they say, well, Daniel, what's the deal? They don't even talk to me. Part of the way they get so many thousands filled is that they don't waste time debating everyone on the phone. So the ones that don't have health issues, boom, right away, you know, they'll approve it. Um, you know, I can't tell you to lie. I can't tell you to do funny-looking things. They have to do things that are legal. And the imagine a doctor prescribing thousands of people blind, just with nothing but a small form, and giving a drug that whatever you and I believe about it, but the medical establishment believes it's the worst thing in the world, they're really skating on thin ice. So they have to go with the 0.2 milligrams. Um, you could always, you know, if it's if you want 10 pills, then order 20. You know, and you can do the point four. Um, nothing stops you from doing that. So they, they don't cap you. I mean, it's capped at sixty per order, but that's that's more than enough for a, for a family. Um, they don't give do kids. They don't do you know nursing or pregnant, uh, and they don't do certain health conditions. If you have severe asthma, they have to take things for it every day. Is there is there science behind that latter point? I, I don't know. Um, my personal opinion is that if you're not on Coumadin and certain other things. Um, and you are not, uh, you know, having experiencing certain liver issues right now, uh, then, then you shouldn't have a problem with it. And if anything, if you're have other underlying conditions, you need treatment more than anyone else. Um, you know, I know Dr. Hazen did say there's a lot of contraindications. She's the first one I've heard who says that. Um, so I don't know what that means. Um, 
again, do your own research, but just know that if you fill out the form accordingly, like, yeah, I drink a lot of alcohol, I have liver issues, I have severe asthma, you know, look, they could just go based on what they see. If you feel that you want it no matter what and you feel that whatever condition you have, it's not a problem and you want it, no one's forcing you to put down or not put down certain things. Um, if you're pregnant, but your husband obviously is not preg- pregnant, well, he could he could be the one ordering it and order the number of pills accordingly. You know what I mean? So you're forewarned. That's how it is. I just want you to know that there's nowhere in America where they could just carte blanche mass produce no matter what. Now, you could find me, oh, well, this doctor from this telehealth I spoke to had this. I said this condition, he's still prescribed. Well, because he he spoke to you, right? He spoke to you, and he feels comfortable with that. Um, the idea is to try to bypass it. I think in some states, they do have to call you, so you will be getting a call. I don't know what states they are. Um, so that that is, that is something I cannot help. I am working with them to get a sense of what their policies are and if I could influence them on what conditions or drugs they deny based off of. But you just have to understand where they're coming from. Uh, Tim, we had Tim on the show. Uh, He's the chief medical officer. We had him on yesterday. He wants to get it to as many people as he can. But they need doctors who are comfortable at seven cells to to prescribe to some people. So if you've been turned down, um, again, I mean... There, there's there's always your spouse, there's always your neighbor, there's always your relative. They can get it shipped to them. You could get it, um, and that's that's the story. I know India is uh, is an option, but again, it takes longer. Uh, it's just less known about about the certitude of getting it and the purity. But certainly, if you feel you have a better deal somewhere, go and jump on that. Um, and again, I agree with Dr. Hazen. And by the way, I don't want you to get the impression somehow she's anti-ivermectin. I, I, she's been at the forefront of it earlier than anyone else, and she's been studying it. And I could tell you, uh, you know, I'm not telling you based on her conversation with me. She didn't tell me anything because she's careful. But Barodi's own piece on trial site says clearly Barodi's very much behind it. But her point is that, you know, it shouldn't come to this. You should have a doctor that treats everyone individually like we always used to do um but i think where we're coming from here is what do we do i mean do we let a number of people just get to a cytokine storm whether they're vaccinated or not and go without any treatment and they wind up in a hospital where their likelihood of surviving is seems to be getting worse not better because of remdesivir and some other things they're doing and just some of the malcare so what am I supposed to do? This has become a public policy issue. These bastards invaded my space, invaded our space, invaded our liberties, tell us what we could do. So you know what? They're not doing their job, which is to treat patients, so I'm going to get involved in that. And if you're going to have medical boards and areas of policy that are going to block the doctors that do want to help from doing so, you better believe I'm going to marshal support in state legislatures to go and, and create laws to prevent that. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, again, I will be out. Looking forward to meeting you guys at Front Sight. We're going to have a pre-recorded show for Monday. Hopefully, we'll get a show out on Tuesday. Wednesday, I'm going to be traveling all day, so I won't be able to put out a show, but we'll be back here Thursday. Send this show to all your friends and relatives. Make sure they get this information. Uh, send me your comments, questions, concerns at dharwitz at blazemedia.com or danielhurwitz at startmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at rmconservative. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Have a terrific weekend. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.